What I can really see is that this was meant to be a a perspective and a dialogue about what it feels like to have irritable bowel syndrome. Radio Drome. Welcome to the final episode of this debacle of horror in the 1980s that I thought would take at max two episodes, but <laughs> is seemingly the rest of the life of this freaking show. We will end out the 1980s in horror. But before that, Cecil is here with us. I am trying to make this take as long as possible. I know you are. That's the problem. <laughs> Peter is snickering in the background. Welcome to Trapped in the 80s, starring me and Cecil Trachenberg as we torture the life out of Mr. Josh Hadley. Oh, it's <laughs> It's fun. Yes. Well, you know what else is fun? Going to adamandeve.com. If you use the promo code DROME, you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. But also, if you're going to be surfing some of the skeevier parts of the internet, which, let's face it, you are, you need a VPN, a virtual private network. And that's where Nord comes in. If you go to 1201beyond.com backslash DROME VPN, you can get the protection that Nord offers for only $3.49 a month. 75% off of a three-year plan. They'll encode your data. They'll encrypt your data. You can pick where your server wants to be. Hey, you want to watch that show from Bangladesh, but it's only available in Bangladesh? Boom, you're on a Bangladeshian. I don't even know if that's the right term, but whatever. A Bangladeshian server. You need to go. You need a VPN. So you use Nord. 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. 1989, this wasn't a dark time for horror. I mean, the 90s would rejuvenate horror because we're in the post-slasher boom and we're in the pre-rejuvenation boom. So we kind of are all over the place when it comes to horror here. Like, you've got 976 Evil, which I'm on record. I didn't like this one. I oddly like 976 Evil 2 better. I, that's weird, and I know that. I mean, you had Robert England directing for the first time, and I thought he did a really good job. I don't... Th- there's no real reason why it didn't hit because when it came out, I know a lot of people were talking about it and uh it's like much more enjoyed now and it did well enough that they they did a sequel now granted the sequel it was a direct-to-video sequel if i'm not mistaken right direct-to-video and jim winorski wasn't <laughs> robert england's directorial debut it was only his feature debut mm-hmm. he had directed episodes of freddy's nightmares prior to this ah, right well i'm saying count. it was his yeah his feature debut so i like it i mean hell i did a video on it a while ago and uh i think that it it was in- interesting and i know i think it's Lionsgate is some is trying to remake it and i'm like why it doesn't make like nine you don't even have nine seven six numbers anymore i don't think yeah and all the i when i did the video i mentioned that i'm like would kids and and audiences even know what nine seven six was and they were like well they could do it you know they could put like an internet spin on it and i'm like well then it's not nine seven six evil anymore they're trying to do that with videodrome the videodrome remake they've been trying to make for over i think 15 years now it's not about videos anymore it's about nanites and the internet 
that. Not fucking Videodrome, yeah, is I mean, it? I'm all for taking things and taking a unique spin on it when you do the remake, but sometimes it just doesn't make sense to do it, and some things only exist in a specific time period. 976 Evil being one of them. After Midnight, I remember this one, but I don't remember anything about it. I remember the po- I remember the uh, poster more than the movie. After Midnight is great. It's the, uh, it's an anthology. Like, each story is pretty cool. Like, you know, granted, with any anthology, you have some stories that are stronger than others. It goes through this, like, I mean, it starts off with the teacher shooting himself in the head on, like, the first day of class. And then it goes into this anthology all about these different stories about fear. It's really neat. Like, I like it a lot. Uh, and then it has a really out of left field ending that, uh, it does kind of get tied up in a sort of silly way way but uh i still really enjoy it i think it's a neat little uh anthology movie that uh, definitely should be checked out well then there's amityville 4 the evil escapes which we've dealt with in our amityville retrospective <laughs> we've got that's we've right got the third beyond the door movie which you know for an exorcist ripoff series it's actually kind of interesting that they got to a third one especially because as i pointed out in the last episode that whole european italian tax credit thing was really coming to an end so to have the Italian exploitation movie still this late into the 80s was starting to become a rarity, so it's always nice to see a Beyond the Door sequel, even though, let's face it, only the first one's worth it, and that's only barely worth it. The third in a series of, exp- of uh, Exorcist exploitation ripoffs, and it's still getting life. What shouldn't be getting life, though, is Chud 2, Bud Chud, which came out this year. Uh, okay. Boo we, on you, both. Let's just skip over that shit. We're gonna have to talk about Garbage it when, we're gonna have to talk about it when we do our Return of the Living Dead retrospective, because this script is actually the original Return of the Living Dead 3 script, because remember, following Return of the Living Dead 2, which was much more comedic, and had the, the zombies very much like the Chuds in this, this is actually the rejected Return of the Living Dead 3 script. Return, the Return of the Living Dead 3 that we did I, get. I, I am is, too. Oh God, but yes. not- spiky, spiky hot zombie chick is a lot cooler than Bud the Cuck. But <laughs> n- but now that I've said that, you can really see how this was meant to follow up Return of the Living Dead 2, couldn't you? What I can really see is that this was meant to be a a perspective and a dialogue about what it feels like to have irritable bowel syndrome. And Bud the Chud is that syndrome. Let's go up to Canada. Wings Hauser as The Carpenter. Oh, that's a fun movie. Um, I mean, anything with Wings Hauser is just going to be great. I mean, this is a guy in Vice Squad that played a ruthless, loathsome uh, woman-beating pimp. Uh, and even in films like Gedevin, where he is the main character's best horribly drunken friend that stumbles off off frame uh during i believe it's a funeral wingshauser is just awesome and uh the carpenter is oh it's a strange film it's almost almost like experimental in a way oftentimes it drifts from being a horror film and sometimes it's a character study sometimes it's a comedy but it's a lot of fun and and wings is just a guy that i i feel like a lot of people need to get a lot more in touch with as far as the not only horror subgenre goes, but 
action as well. Like this is um, a really interesting actor with a lot of different facets to his personality and his, his acting style. Um, but I, I love I love Wingshauser and and I love the Carpenter. Just just an awesome, fun, weird, subversive, strange film that is held together by the acting talent of uh, Mr. Wings. Well, then there's stuff like The Cellar from Kevin Tinney. I remember it being pretty good. I just don't remember much about it. I remember Cellar Dweller exactly. better. But then there mm. is, I remember being so disappointed with Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town because with a title like that, I expected a much more fun movie. It's fun. I actually, the first time I saw that was on uh, a USA Up All Night uh, trauma marathon. They played that and uh, Frostbiter and uh, a couple of other films, but I thought it it, it fit the bill. And then I saw it later uh, uncensored, obviously, because USA Up All Night, God, did they cut stuff a lot. I always thought it was entertaining. It's corny and it's pretty much, it, they didn't go as far with the premise as I would have liked, especially with an awesome title like that, but I still have a soft spot for it. Well, then there is the church or demon six depending on what country you're in from from Michele, Michele Suave which the church wasn't so great and it does not work as a demons movie even though it was only backdoored into that oh the church is creepy as hell oh it's awesome it's a great film yeah some wonderful set pieces in this one yeah it just it's really really atmospheric and just a generally weird movie I like it a lot. Well, we we should probably even bring up the movie that I've only seen once and I will never, ever watch again. Victor Salva's Clown House, the movie where, uh. behind the scenes, he repeatedly raped underage Nathan Forrest Winters for the entirety of the shooting. Let's just tie up Victor Salva and mash his nuts with a hammer, shall we? Yeah, I... I don't know how that guy is just not dead. He's still fucking being funded to make movies, too, which, like, makes no sense to me. Like, it's proven that he fucked children, not only that, on camera, had, like, child porn on his computer. How is he not being run down as hard as uh, someone like Weinstein? Makes no sense to me. It, I don't yeah, I don't it. particularly understand. I I guess in general it's because he's not as big of a target. Like when you say Harvey Weinstein, people know who you're talking about. Yeah, when big you producer say Victor, guy, yeah. yeah, when you say Victor Salva, people don't know. They actually know. Like if you say Jeepers Creepers, they would know that. But I just don't understand. In the era of like the whole Me Too thing, here's somebody who legitimately ruined children's lives. And yet he's not essentially canceled, which I hate the term, but if anybody deserves to be canceled, it's this fucking guy. And yet. Yeah, like a literal child rapist. Like, come on. He is a child rapist and he's still getting work. I I don't understand it. Well, then on Mm. on a slightly nicer topic, we have Brad Pitt's first movie. Cutting class. Brad mm. Pitt is awful in the, you would never see future <laughs> superstar Brad Pitt in, in, when you watch Cutting Class. You just wouldn't see it. Well, they all gotta start somewhere. And, uh, some, some actors, you can really see it. You can see that, uh, even like, and this is gonna be a weird point to make, but even like Stallone in Party at Kitty and Studs, 
you can see the future superstar in that film. Even if it does have weird hand-holding orgy scenes, Sly's got charisma. This was the movie where um he met Jill Sholin, and they were like, I believe they were married for a little while, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because I think all mm. he'd done before this was he did a 21 Street, he did a Freddy's Nightmares, and then, you know, he would come out in Thelma and Louise, which would, I, honestly, you watch Cutting Class in Thelma and Louise, and you ask yourself, how is this the same actor in both movies? <laughs> yeah, well, two different guys, yeah. Well, everybody, I mean, you know, you you evolve, you grow, and you get mm-hmm. better at something. I mean, and not everybody is immediately good at acting or whatever. Uh, so, especially, like, I mean, there are directors who you watch some of their old stuff, and it's like, ugh, and then you watch how they've evolved. And same thing with actors. There are a lot of actors who maybe weren't the best, and they've gotten better. And I think that that is, you know, it's, it's perfectly normal. Uh, I think of how many things that you've done you know nobody picks up a guitar well i shouldn't say nobody but 90 (laughs) percent of people that pick up a guitar are not going to be amazing the first time they play the guitar you have to learn it's a craft like anything it's all about getting good at it for sure yeah practice and then we also have jr bookwalter's first film the dead next door which might actually be his best movie and i'm not saying i don't like some of his other movies cecil you and i did an episode on bookwalter dead next door is actually legitimately good especially for all the limitations he had in making it Oh, yeah. I mean, and you had, you know, way back, uh, Scott Spiegel. It's just mm. a, it's a really well put together movie that God had so many problems and so many limitations and just not a lot of money. And they still were able to make a very, very entertaining, competent film. But then the one, the one I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about is the 1989 Dr. Caligari remake from Rince Dream, <laughs> Stephen Sad- Steven Stadion. Now, I want to do a whole Rince Dream retrospective at some point. This, was his first non-hardcore film made it very much in his style if you're familiar with rinse dream stuff at all all you got to do is just look at the cover art and you're like this is a rinse dream movie isn't it and it's a sequel slash remake slash reimagining slash fever dream of the original dr caligari because the dr caligari in this is the great granddaughter of the dr caligari in the original and it's one of the most bizarre (laughs) movies i'm serious people talk about weird cinema you need to see the dr caligari 1989 this is one of the most strange yet focused strangeness if that makes sense at all it is focused strangeness it's a hell of a statement to make because the original Caligari itself is one of the weirdest movies ever made to begin with. Without a doubt, yes. And, and like I said, so this one's not a remake, it's not a sequel, it's kind of both, but it's <laughs> also sort of a parody. It's hard to describe. I, I checked it out just out of curiosity to see what a remake slash secret sequel slash whatever it was experimental film version of a, a, a remake or a follow-up of one of the weirdest movies ever made to begin with and it definitely delivers i mean it's so confusing and it breaks my brain so much i would rather just talk about 1989's leviathan well we already talked about that we did a whole episode instead why don't we talk about 1989's elves dan Dan haggerty has to solve the mystery of the nazi elves and 
their selective breeding <laughs> process within, within their own family. So it's incest selective breeding from the Nazis that will bring forth the elves that will end the world or cleanse the world. I, I can't remember about this movie with a, with a buddy of mine. I was talking about this movie with a buddy of mine just last night and we both described it as one of the stupidest movies ever made yet one of the most stupidly entertaining films to watch during the Christmas time. Like it is easily one of the worst rubber horror film monster movies ever made. But like Dan Haggerty's performance and just like everything about it is so technically wrong and dumb and stupid. And it's so much fun. Like elves is elves is a, is a riot. And I feel like it deserves the, the notoriety of something like troll two has. Like I, I honestly think it's, it's funnier than a uh, troll two is in a lot of ways. Well, elves, I, I wrote about this back when I worked at Fangoria. Dan Haggerty was drunk through most of this. He was really going through a yes, bad period. You can tell on camera he's drunk through most of the movie. <laughs> Very obviously, yes. And, and there's one moment I swear is not from the script. It's Dan Haggerty breaking character. When he's trying to get the book on like necromancy or something like that. It's been a few years since I've seen it. From the library and she says it's in section 666. He turns and goes, you gotta be kidding me. And I swear that's actual Dan Haggerty and not the character saying that and they left it in. Elves, I, I am astonished that Elves has not been remastered yet. <laughs> from what I understand, when I wrote about it for Fangoria, there's some massive rights issues involved with all the people. This is one of those movies that I will be shocked if ever gets a prop, a, a legitimate Blu-ray release because there are like nine different people saying, I own that movie. Oh, that's so sad. That's so frustrating too. Because yeah, I mean, something like that has been packaged and sold off to different companies over the years and they, they really need to, to get better sorting on that kind of stuff because, uh, we're, we're getting, we're like losing movies, so to speak. Like how many movies have fallen through the cracks because, you know, and, and movies and TV shows where they're owned by so many different companies that all want a piece of the pie. How about something like flesh eating mothers? I saw this movie now. I didn't realize at the time, and I probably should have with a title like Flesh Eating Mothers, that this movie, I don't know if it's an intentional satire, but it is a satire. There are two moments that made me laugh so hard at, at this movie. I've like punk rock kid is sitting at the table and his mom, you know, she's a zombie now, and she takes a bite out of his skull and blood flies everywhere and he just stands up and calmly goes, Ma, knock it off! And then, and then the other part where a guy's running down the street and the cop shoots him three times in the back and then goes, HALT OR I'LL SHOOT! And I just started thinking, were those scenes edited in the wrong order or is that supposed to be funny like that? I'm not sure. <laughs> it sounds like a hoot. I've, I've never seen this one, but yeah, it sounds great. Well, and then there's Friday the 13th, Jason Takes Canada, which we've talked about endlessly. Revenge of Michael Myers, Halloween 5, less said about that the better. But then we've got like the horror show, aka House 3, we did a whole retrospective. Wait, nothing on Grim Prairie Tales? Oh, I was hoping to avoid that. Come on, James Earl Jones, Brad Dura. I do you know, want? but it's oh, that movie's horrendous. No, it's not. They eat a Kentucky Fried Rat. You're making my point for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I guarantee there are going to people. There's going to be people that hear that that go, okay, I need to see the movie with the Kentucky Fried Rat. What about then Howling Five, which we talked about in our retrospective? There's Leviathan. 
We need to talk about, though, Lobster Man from Mars. Am I the only one who has seen Lobster Man from Mars? No, I love Lobster Man from Mars. Deborah Foreman? Come on, it, It's basically the producers, but on a for an exploitation kind of B-movie instead of for, you know, springtime for Hitler. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally it's totally done very tongue-in-cheek, and it's all about the the making of this movie, Lobster Man from Mars, and it's uh, it's really clever. It's very, it's very biting and very funny. Now, I don't know if this was part was meant to be funny, but Tony Randall's performance is so bad. I swear they used not only the first take, but that he just walked in, sat down, set his lines, and left. His performance is so, I so don't care about this movie. I don't know if that was intentional for the movie or if that's just how they got Tony Randall. Both, maybe? Maybe? Then there is Metamorphosis, or Metamorphosis the Alien Factor, as it was released on video. But the, With that really, wasn't that the one with the really awesome cover that was like embossed? Yes, yeah, yeah, it had the embossed cover. I actually didn't see this one on video. I saw this one on, I think on Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater. I think I saw this one, but I didn't have the Alien Factor on it. I think it was just Metamorphosis. So I know there's mm. another movie called Metamorphosis, so we might all be confusing these together. It's very possible. But then there's Monster High, which is that weird comedy with aliens in it. We've got The Night Visitor. We have Nightmare on Elm Street 5. We have Offerings, which I legitimately kind of like. Nightlife? The vampire movie? I forgot about that one. Nightlife? I don't know if it's... Nightlife? I don't know if it's good. It's really good. Okay, because I, I remember not really liking it, but that was me seeing it as a teenager. Lots of movies I saw as a teenager I didn't like that I like now, so I might like it now. It, you know what? I didn't know that it was a horror comedy, and so I kind of, uh, the first time I saw it, I wasn't crazy about it, but I watched it again, uh, and, you know, this time knowing it was supposed to be a, a comedy, and I actually really enjoyed it. I think it's a really funny movie. So is Parents. Now, R- Randy Quaid might be a psychopath now. He's <laughs> great in Parents. The, the Bob Balaban movie? Yeah. Oh, dude, I love Parents. Yeah, they're so good in that. It's such a, like, it It came out at that time when we were getting all these really bizarre cannibal movies. That, Eating Raul. Like, Flesh-eating they, mothers. They all just, flesh-eating mothers, apparently. Yeah, that was, I guess, the, the sub-genre that we didn't know existed until, you know, now. But, uh, yeah, I love Parents. That's a really, really good movie. I know people love this movie. I know why they love this movie. I can't stand Pet Cemetery. I've never liked it. I didn't like the book. I, I don't <laughs> like Pet Cemetery, and I know you guys Pet probably Cemetery do. Pet Cemetery 2. Oh, good God. Pet yeah, Cemetery Pet... 2 is way better. No, it's not. Not by the... any means. Yes, I... it is. I will, I will give credit where it's due. I like Pet Cemetery. I think that, uh, there are certain parts of it that, uh, don't work as strongly as they could, but I think that, um, Dale Midkiff is really good in the lead. Okay, I think no, no, I'm gonna stop you. Gage. I'm gonna stop you. Dale Midkiff is the worst part of this movie. He is so oh. one note. Now, I've seen Dale Mitkiff and other things. I'm not saying the man can't act. I'm saying in this movie, he doesn't act. Now, Fred Gwynn. I think it's a good Fred movie. Gwynn the thing steals is with the Pet film. Pet Cemetery is I, I prefer it 100% to the remake that came out that tried to take itself so bleakly serious and it was so desaturated and so gray looking and it, it tried so hard to be like, oh, look how much more scary this version is. Like at least the, the original 
adaptation of it from 89 of Pet Cemetery. It at least had some heart to it, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I've always much preferred Pet Cemetery 2 because Clancy Brown is awesome. Pet Cemetery, the the first adaptation from 89 is is a fine film. I I really don't understand where your um animosity for it comes from phantom of the mall eric's revenge which sounds like a sequel but it's not there was no first phantom of the mall but phantom of the mall eric's revenge is one of the most well i guess that's a movie movies that you'll ever (laughs) sit through (laughs) i this this is shocking to some people but i hate this movie yeah i i hated it since the first time i saw it it's so bad it is i'm not (laughs) saying it's it's good I know it's rare to hear it from me, but yeah, this is a movie that I can't stand. I've tried, uh, but it's just terrible. It's just so bad. Well, and then this year also brought us the first Puppet Master movie. Now, I, I, I like the, the stop motion. I like parts of the first three or four movies, but I've never been a fan of this franchise, but I totally get why people are. The, the character Blade is uh, what I've always loved about it. That's like one of the coolest little horror slasher uh, puppet stop motion characters ever. Just, just what a what a badass. Yeah, Blade's awesome. Uh, I've always been more a fan of Torch because he's a little puppet with a flamethrower. Because why not? But that started with two, and I, I like for me. I know a lot of people that have three is their favorite, but two was like my introduction to the series. And two, I just I love it dearly. But going back and like starting with two and. Then and going back and watching one, one has a shockingly l- small amount of puppets in it. Like, that was really my only gripe with, like, I still like the first one. There's very, very, very little amount of puppets in it. It's really more about, like, the mystery and everything. And then there's also puppets. But, uh, two, it was like, okay, we need more puppets in this movie. So they had a lot, you know, the puppets were doing a lot more in that. And it just, it was more of a movie that felt like something that should be called the Puppet Master. I like the majority of the Puppet Master movies. There's some that are weaker. But, uh, when you've got, what are we up to? 13 now? When you've got that many it's inevitable that some are going to be just clip shows we need to talk about shocker now we got to put shocker into some sort of a context here now like i said the slasher movie thing was over in general the slasher boom as we would know it on the other hand these slasher icons were still out there you had new line trying to bring leatherface back which would happen the following year you have freddie you have jason you have michael myers back you've got these horror icons and then you've got you know chucky who's you know still relatively new at this point and wes craven because remember he'd sort of lost control over over Nightmare on Elm Street. He hadn't been involved since part three. That wasn't his franchise anymore. He wanted to essentially create a new Freddy Krueger. And that was supposed to be Mitch Pileggi in Shocker as Horace Pinker. Really, when you look at Shocker, it doesn't work as a movie. It has parts that work really well. But as a movie, it doesn't work. This is more like a pilot for a, for a movie series. And that's what you can see all over this is Wes Craven saying, I'm going to create the new horror icon. And it did not work. Shocker lost a ton of money. It had this tie-in with all these heavy metal bands and the all-heavy metal soundtrack and the music videos. Yeah. And Horace Pinker is 
hosting the Halloween special on Headbangers Ball with, you know, Mitch Pileggi was pretty cool doing that, but Shocker... Yeah. Shocker is sort of pathetic when you look at it in that regard, that it's literally almost a shameless cash grab. And it's sort of... Well, it's tried. Like, it's it's a movie that tried. And I feel like Mitch Pileggi definitely had the charisma to carry a character like this. And I've always loved the character of Pinker. Like, I love the, I love the guy in everything. Like, I think he's brilliant in uh, in X-Files. He's awesome in, uh, I believe it's uh, 3 O'Clock High as a security guard. Like, he's one of my favorite sort of that guy actors that I almost don't realize that I like so much. And I feel like Shock definitely wanted to do a lot better than it did, but maybe was a little too high on itself in the creation of it. But I do think it's a really fun movie, and a lot of it has to do with uh, Pileggi's performance as Pinker. That's part of the, not Pileggi's performance, but part of the reason I think it doesn't work is, like I said, it feels like it's a pilot. It feels like like Craven was trying to do the Marvel Cinematic Universe beforehand. Hey, I'm going to do this, and we're going to lay the groundwork for the next five movies, because there's all all these things in it that were just like exposition dumps that have no bearing on this plot, but were like, well, in the third movie, we'll deal with this part. In the fourth movie, we'll deal with this part. Hey, how about concentrating on making a good first movie instead? Because you didn't do that. <laughs> Looking into this a little bit, because uh, I'm trying to figure out who ripped off who. It was either Shocker or The Horror Show. I believe The Horror Show was in production first, and then Shocker mm, ripped it off. I was going to bring that up, that a- they are very similar plot-wise. Yeah, it's that same that same year. What was it like? Three different horror movies with like prison-based plots came out. One of them, I think, was the Lyle Elzato Destroyer. Oh God, yeah, (laughs) I forgot about the Destroyer. (laughs) That's awesome. But yeah, that's one I really need to dig into more to try to find out what was the uh, what was the one because they're they're too close. I really I think it was Shocker ripped off the horror show, and Mm. uh, and I'm not and look I still love West, but um, I think that uh, for whatever reason, uh, that's it's it, it, there's so many similarities that it's yeah. it's beyond coincidence. Well, hell, so. a, a good idea is a good idea. Like no matter where it comes from, if you get inspired by something, like it all all depends on what you do with that idea. And I I feel like. The movie in question, Shocker, I think did something pretty cool with it. So I'm, I'm, you know, working on it. But anyway, but as it was, Shocker, I, the soundtrack's awesome. The movie in and of itself was just very weak. I feel like if it was anybody other than Mitch Pileggi, it probably wouldn't have been very good. Cause he's just, he's just awesome. He is really good in it. And it's a shame because I think that he's, he's doing a better job than the movie is. I'm going to go back to the fact that, that they wanted this movie to kick off when Wes Craven created Freddy Krueger he didn't expect I'm going to have a whole series of this and he's going to become a horror icon when Kim Hinkle and Toby Hooper created Leatherface they didn't see this coming Jason was created by you know we're still legally who created Jason the, the whole thing is with Shocker when you go into it going I'm going to create a horror icon <laughs> your mindset is it, it's kind of like how we've said for a long time you've got all these fake cult movies that are out there these movies that are like Samurai Cop 2 that are like we're going to make a cult movie and it's like oh, oh, you can't suck God, you can't that do that out. you can't do that you can't no. go in saying we're going 
to make a cult film. It has to happen. That's the it same has thing to that be organic. It, it really exactly. needs to be a genuine, earnest effort. You can't be thinking about this is going to have a, mil- a million sequels after. This is going to have this political message, this and that. You have to. It's just honestly, and this might get get us under fire a little bit, but it's just like what fucking Joe Bob said is that filmmakers used to go into films with the story in mind first with a underlining political message there that would be found out later. You're selling the film first, a story, a script, characters, what whatever it is that drives it and everything else that's underneath it. The political message, the this, the that, or what have you, is there too, but it gets discovered later. And God, does this seem to piss a lot of people off lately? Because it's like all of your movies nowadays need to spawn some big, huge franchise. It needs to be the next Universal thing. It needs to be the next MCU. Like DC is even trouble of this of like, okay, well, we've got to copy what Marvel is doing, even though they were kicking ass with the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. It's like it's it's all really. It's it's just I think the, the simplest way to put it is it's a fucked system and, and and that's where I think Shocker's biggest problem is they went into this with nothing but dollar signs that's why I say Shocker is a shameless cash grab that Instead didn't of work just making a cool Mitch Pileggi slasher film yeah it reminds me of uh, when I used to work at the college we were working we were doing like some outsourcing for uh, God who was it I think it was uh, the Pico they were like okay we were doing a video for them and they're like okay we need you to do this video and we want it to go viral and and it was just like well they, they acted like like you would make it and just tick a box that it would go viral it's like it doesn't work that way and it's the same mindset with this it's like they want to create a new horror icon they want something to be the next big thing instead <laughs> of just making it and making it live or die on its own merits and yeah. if it succeeds then oh okay this is great this is what the people want we'll make more no this is gonna be the thing and then whenever they make the thing it's never the thing it's always annoying when they do that it's fucking annoying because it's like Mm -hmm. look how big i am look at the size of my dick look at my character just make a movie you don't have to outdo anybody you don't have to be in competition with anybody make what speaks from the heart for you it's that simple movies are i understand at the end of the day movies are made to make a profit they're made it's a business at the end of the day it's supposed to be a business but the thing is we're getting to the point of where it used to be a melding of art and business and now Mm -hmm. it's business and art so it's business definitely comes first now it's true it's really, mm-hmm. it's pathetic. Like you, 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 the people that actually think these days get worrisome when they go into a film. They're like, okay, what's this going to be? Is this going to be an honest effort or is this going to be some guy trying to tell me how good of a person he is? Cause I'll tell you what, fella, I don't give a shit. I want a good movie. I think we got that. We covered it in our Silent Night, Deadly Night retrospective. I really dug Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Yes. It, it, I mean, it was more insane and went into a definite supernatural place that the first two movies did not. I 
think Better Watch Out was a shockingly good sequel. That's the Bill Mosley one, right? Yes, where his brain is exposed. Just fantastic. That's an awesome one. And, and you also have Laura Herring being not Jennifer Conley throughout the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> we had Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland, covered it in our retrospective. But we need to talk a little bit about society. Oh, God. I don't mean society in an esoteric sense. I mean the movie Society. Yes, we need Brian to get... Brian Usner's Society. We need to get to the bottom of this. It's time to start shunting. This movie, I, I, Joe Bob showed it, uh, I can't remember if it was in one of the marathons or if it was just on his regular show. Let's just say people who had never heard of this movie were completely unprepared for <laughs> society. And I can see that. I totally get. You are not prepared for this movie. Even if we described it to you, you would not be prepared for this movie, people. You wouldn't. <laughs> Am I underselling that? No, no, no you're, you're not. And the film has, um, I feel like the message behind it is better than the movie itself. This might cause me some flack, but I really don't think the movie's that good. Certainly not the best Stuart Gordon using the film. I feel like the Beyond or From Beyond is a lot more effectively gross and greasy and slimy and uh, fucked up and ambiguous and whatnot. Uh, but I feel like society just as the plot of the rich literally eating the poor was a great message but the film itself like i never found anything about it all that disturbing i didn't find the characters a hell of a lot really interesting but i i like what was behind it this 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 the whole the, the whole thing of like everybody's talking about how messed up it is there's a guy with a with a face that's in a butt and all this stuff is it's really more of the film's reputation that keeps it relevant to horror fans and cult movie fans in general is I feel like it's more of the reputation and not really so much the film itself because the movie itself isn't really that good. It's disjointed. The editing's a bit weird at times and the ending really isn't nothing. It's nothing really that, that special. I mean, everybody talks about how messed up the ending is. When I, when I look back at it, every time I rewatch it and I always want to look at it from a fresh perspective, it's always the, the groundwork of the story. That's the best part of it is the fact that it's like calling out the elite class for crapping on the on the underclass but the movie itself is meh Am I the only one that thinks, even though Brian Usna directed this, society feels like it should be in a, a Frank Hentenlotter film? Yeah, it has, uh, it has that weird, uh, vibe. It, you could totally see this in a, you could totally see the Frankenhooker or the Basket Case characters coming in at any moment. I agree oh, yeah. with this. I actually agree with that. I think it's just that it's it's so unexpected is what it is. It starts off relatively normal, a little, you know, because they got the, you know, Billy Warlock from Baywatch, and it just, it feels like... He was good. Yeah. I liked him a lot. Well, he wasn't on Baywatch yet. But Not yet. I, I no. know what you mean. It was just a shot before, and he had gotten the role, and then they released the film. Cause, but it's it's just, it's so weird, because it starts off a little a little kind of incestuous, you know, with, the, with <laughs> the sister and all, and then it just, it gets gradually weirder and weirder and weirder and it just builds until finally it gets to the end where it's just this big slimy you know mess and i think that's what it always throws people off is that it's this fairly i don't want to say basic but it seems like it's normal but then it gets completely weirder and weirder until finally you get to the end where you're like all right i never thought that this was going to happen (laughs) yeah you don't expect the alien orgy feast 
at the yes. end and a, and a guy getting a fist up his ass to defeat him. Yeah. There's some great like elements in there for sure. I, I just don't think it's as disturbing as people make it out to be. It's satirical. And, the, and going back to going what you would been saying with the Joe Bob thing, here was the, the, the story was there. The movie was there. And mm. then the message, not the <laughs> message. And then the movie. Exactly. Like you didn't realize until I think the half to almost ending point of the film is that this was a total commentary on um the rich upper class dumping on the the lower class like the rich eating the poor and that to me is what cements this as a relevant film it's not how messed up it is it's not the guy with his face in an ass it's not the orgy feast at the end it's the overall message that the rich are pieces of shit and that's i think that's important you know what else is a piece of shit toby hooper's spontaneous combustion i don't even <laughs> want to talk about this garbage but then there is jeff burr with stepfather 2 which like i said i don't know why but i like it better than the first stepfather we do need to talk about i'm a vampire 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 <laughs> this year brought us nicholas cage's batshit insanity and vampire's kiss it has to which, be in the proper alphabetical order a b c d vampire's kiss might be the most nicholas cage movie nicholas cage has ever nicholas cage Insane. It is the, the <laughs> movie that spawned a thousand memes of Nicolas oh, Cage. Oh yeah! Didn't it spawn the uh, the you don't say meme? Yeah, yeah. The you don't where he's making the face. The you don't say. Yeah, with the with the big bulgy eyes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, just well, great. Well, then we'll end this one just mentioning Warlock. And the reason I only want to mention it is I recently got the box set, and this thing, the Warlock franchise, is screaming for a franchise retrospective. I love of the first movie. I thought the second movie was okay, and the third movie I'd rather not even mention. But <laughs> we'll, we'll do a full retrospective on Warlock. So, we're done with the 1980s. How do you think horror films evolved from the early, from 1980 to 1989? Because I see a giant shift. You have the slasher boom, you had supernatural films and werewolf movies and stuff in there, but you know, the slasher boom is what defined horror in the 80s. And we, We've been talking about in this episode all the horror icons, you know, Freddy and Jason and they're all slasher guys okay you get pinhead later and that's a little bit different but a little more you know it's main, it, yeah after the slasher boom died i actually think horror while it might not have had as many hits it might not have been as as noticeable to in the mainstream was churning out a lot better product maybe all the movies didn't work but they were trying new things they were really trying new things I think the slasher boom, as much as I love the old slashers, was holding horror back, strangely enough. I don't know. I think that there were a lot of, uh, a lot of great horror films that came out from the year, uh, the combination of slashers and just bizarre films. I liked that they were, uh, going all over the place and trying out new things and then trying out new things within the slasher genre. I think that, uh, it's, it's a great, I mean, hell, we, I just did a documentary about, uh, the decade. I think that there's a wide variety variety of uh of slasher stuff and just horror stuff in general uh it's it's inventive and the thing is if it wasn't if it wasn't that good then how come decades later it's still being ripped off like how many mm. remakes are coming out of 80s movies how many themes and whatnot are being taken from 80s movies That's i think it was right massively influential it, it, it was a defining decade and i i do mean that in the best way but i chart the, look at the evolution from 1980 to 1980 
1999, you do see a huge evolution of the, the slasher flicks are all relatively simplistic movies. And then you're getting into all of these pretty complex horror movies by the last, by the last couple of years of the 80s. Well, the, it, it, the thing it grew. With it was after the 80s was definitely its own generation. We, it was the generation of neon, the generation of glam and hair metal, of thrash metal, of slasher films, of pushing, definitely pushing boundaries. You know, we, we took the, um, influence that the giallo subgenre of, of Italy had these like slash films and machetes to the face. And it started this whole boom of slasher films, of body count films. And this is what the eighties did. And then afterwards, when we hit the nineties, it's like, okay, we've done all this stuff in the eighties with like the, the lone killer picking off a group of 23, 25 people or whatever. So it's like, maybe we should try to go back to more of a subtle approach. Maybe we should try to do some more supernatural stuff. I mean, we did get some fucking off. Awesome stuff in the 90s. You know, we got we got Wishmaster. We got films like that. And I think that's really positive is that it, it did push directors to be like, okay, that generation is over. The filmmakers of that generation left their mark. They did what they did. And now we got to do our own thing. And it's hard because of how impactful the 80s slasher films were. So it forced these 90s directors or even guys that were left over from the 80s to try to push those boundaries again and sometimes it worked you know sometimes it was awesome sometimes it was wishmaster sometimes it was unfortunately jason goes to hell but we did get some cool stuff for sure and i and i love the fact that horror is constantly evolving and it's probably as a genre as a subgenre horror films in general is probably one of the most culturally relevant of film because it's always on the hot button of what's going on currently like if you look at 80s slasher films it's very much what the culture was of the 80s same with the 90s same with the 2000s like these are filmmakers that are probably more sensitive to what you're going through than your typical drama or action director is like they they kind of know what's actually going on in that time and i think that's what makes horror from back when it started in in the 30s and 40s with silent films to the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, what makes it such a relevant genre. That's what makes horror so goddamn fantastic. Which is another one of the reasons, and I'm sorry to keep harping on this, that Shocker was so almost tone deaf. It was trying to say like, no, 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 no. The slasher thing is not over. We are, we are, it is not over. We can still do this instead of looking at all the movies that were around it that had moved on. It was sort of, it was sort of, yeah. it was sort of like, no, 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 I don't want to grow up. <laughs> It was uh, going back to, uh, I guess, greener pastures to a certain thing. It was like, hey, uh, Freddy was huge, and let's try to create another Freddy. And uh, it just didn't work. And, and, it and it happens. Was, and who knows? It might have come down from the – I mean, I don't know the, the full story. It might have come down from the studio. Hey, uh, we'll give you $15 million. Make another Freddy. And they weren't the only ones that tried that. Remember, Brain Scan really tried to make the trickster the next Freddy Krueger as well. Brain scan oh, yeah. was awesome though. God, brain that was scan a great was movie. brain scan was awesome, but the thing was they did have the basic structure of the story there, and they were and they were like, hey, let's throw in an icon, and they made the 
Trickster. That's why, I like, <laughs> when tri- like, I love the movie. I absolutely love the movie. Didn't Trickster, Trickster, like, you could probably uh, do a cut where you edit out Trickster and it doesn't change the film at all. It would still be a great movie. I mean, it, it makes it, the, it I would say it makes it better, you know, because the Trickster's not there. Like, he, I think, is the only really weak part of the entire film. To me, 80s horror will always be, ironically enough, the most defined. Because you can look at a, you can, you can look yeah. at a 70s horror movie and you, you can go, okay, that's kind of 70s. You can look at a 90s horror movie and sometimes you go, oh god, that is so 90s, but you roll your eyes while you say it. Whereas an 80s horror movie, <laughs> this is possibly nostalgia goggles, but there's a certain charm to an 80s slasher that the more self-aware, <laughs> 90s slashers didn't have. Yes, I agree with that. They were more earnest. They they weren't trying to be ironic. They weren't trying to tell you how how much smarter they were with you. They were just trying to shock you. That was it. They wanted to make you feel uncomfortable. That was the whole point. Also, uh, we didn't mention it, but uh, The Fly 2 was awesome. No, it wasn't. Oh, yeah. But, so yes, it was. I, I'm just going to say, as the 90s would begin, I'm getting woozy here. <laughs> so where where can we find Peter giggling up in Canada? Good Lord. You can find me on Twitter arguing with fuckbags about Joe Bob Briggs and how he didn't say anything wrong at Twitter, at Cinematica, at YouTube, the Cinematicist, on Facebook, the Cinematicist, on 1201beyond.com with other fine programming. I'm really not as bitter as I make myself out to be. I'm kind of a nice guy. I'll treat you right. My fingers have that magic touch. And if you would like to donate to me financially, Patreon at Zinematica. I love you. And where can we find the Cecil? Uh, you can find me uh, with my fingers far, far away from Peter's. At, uh, <laughs> That's a double entendre. At, uh, good, it's, that was great. At uh, GoodBadFlix.com as well as GoodBadFlix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And you can contact me if you would like to at 1201beyond at gmail.com or go to my website, 1201beyond.com. It's a little bit behind right now because we're redoing the whole thing, so... Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Next week, an actual new topic. Imagine that. Oh, my God.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.